as you saw, my trip to the Sierras was indeed scary. It was pretty intense. And the same is true when we follow Jesus. Sometimes there's mountains and sometimes there are valleys. But one thing's for sure, it's never boring. It's an adventure. I read some, uh, somewhere once that if following Jesus isn't an adventure for you, you may have gotten a little too comfortable. <laughs> so funny that you prayed that just a second ago because comfort. Anybody else like to be comfortable? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> my favorite place to relax is at home in my recliner. Mm-hmm. My daughter in this cold weather just reminded me about how I am comforted by my heated seats in my car. I know, right? It's a luxury. I am that comfortable. I'm sorry. (laughs) But here's a comfort we don't always think about. How about the instant knowledge that we have now thanks to Google? Yeah, yeah. You know how comfortable I am sometimes while sitting in my recliner? I ask Alexa to to look something up for me on Google. I am that comfortable. So as I'm coming here this morning, I'm completely humbled and telling you that I think I'm a little too comfortable, especially as I see what's going on in the world today. Because here's the deal. When we follow Jesus, it's not always comfortable. Sometimes it's extremely challenging. But we have a choice. We can be either comfortable and unmoving, like my recliner, or we can be uncomfortable and growing. We can be comfortable and unmoving or uncomfortable and growing. Some of the best times of growth in my life were when I was in the most uncomfortable, the most challenging, the most frightening circumstances. Do I think that's a coincidence? No. (laughs) No. Because I believe that God uses those challenging circumstances so that we can not only grow from that experience, but that we can be blessed. And as we learned last week, to bless others as well. Because when we follow Jesus, it's not always comfortable. But God's will is always good. Would you say that with me? God's will is always good. Yes. Do you think the disciples had some challenging situations? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember last Sunday as we looked at the feeding of the 5,000? We all agreed that if we were in that situation, we would be absolutely stressed out. (laughs) How are we going to feed 5,000 people plus their families with only a Happy Meal, Jesus? I mean, I would have been 100% stressed out. But as they followed and as they obeyed, the disciples were able to be a part of a miracle and blessing 5,000 plus people with more than enough food. And not only were the people blessed, but the disciples we saw were blessed as well as there were leftovers. Because when we follow Jesus, he provides more than enough for us to be blessed and to bless others. Which brings us to the passage for today, Jesus walking on water. This account is actually recorded for us in three separate Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. And I had a hard time picking one. So we're going to start in one and finish in the other. Uh, We'll start in uh, Mark and we'll finish in Matthew. Uh, But I encourage you to look at John because there are some wonderful uh, truths that we can glean from uh, John's account as well. 
So I've asked my sister Sarah to come up and read Mark 6 for us, uh, 45 to 51. All right. Um, so this, yes, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. I'm reading from the CSB. Um, okay. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass them by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke with them and said, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, please don't take that. <laughs> there is so much going on there in those six verses. Six verses. Um, and sometimes when I have heard a passage so many times, that it actually has this effect called the lullaby effect on me. Have you guys heard of that before? In other words, I'm so comfortable with it that I tune it out, or worse yet, that I discount it. And this is a passage where Jesus walks on water. Did you hear that? He walks on water. So I just pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to comprehend, that you would give us hearts to be changed, and that, that your word would just come alive to us again this morning. Awaken us, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're just going to go line by line because there's so much, like I said, going on here. So I'm, I'll be going by the ESV, but uh, the CSB is awesome as well. Immediately... He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. Stop. <laughs> okay, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. I have to stop there. Why? Why did he have to make them? And that was recorded in a, a couple of accounts. He made them. So I asked myself, okay, was it the sea? Well, they were fishermen. You'd think they'd be comfortable, some of them. Well, maybe there was a storm coming. Were they, were they tired? I mean, they just came off this miracle of feeding 5,000. I don't know. I want more information. So where do I go? Google. Yes. I did some research on the Sea of Galilee. Let me just share with you. I've never been, so I, had to, I wanted to know. The Sea of Galilee is set in the hills of northern Israel and is nearly 700 feet below sea level. Does anybody know where we are? Are we like two or 300 above? I'm not sure, but this is 700 feet below sea level. It's nearly 8 miles wide and 12 miles long, and it plunges to depths of 200 feet. And around the sea are the hills of Galilee, and they reach over 1,400 feet, and the mountains reach over 2,500 feet. So here's the interesting part. It says, the sea's location makes it subject to sudden and violent storms. 
as that cold air comes over the mountain and it drops into the valley, it's subject to sudden and violent storms. Well, that's enough for me to Jesus have to make me get in the boat. But I don't know why he had to make the disciples get in the boat. But what I do understand is that there are times when Jesus tells me to do something that I either really don't want to do or that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You want me to do what, Jesus? You want me to go where? Uh-uh. That doesn't make any sense. But I tell you what, it makes complete sense to God. So this week I had the chance to Zoom with Kim and Doug Johnson, some of our favorite missionaries, and I wanted to hear more of their story and how God called them to serve at a school in Tunisia, North Africa, during a pandemic. They have been there now officially for seven months, but got God's call over a year ago in January. Kim said at first they had lots of questions and concerns. But as each set of questions were answered, God gave her this sense of peace. So in April of 2021, they went for a visit, and they got to know the area. Now, Doug here, I love Doug, Doug quickly noted that it's a very industrial area with very little green space. Quite different than what they're used to here in Evansville or from Colorado where their other home is. Most people, he said, speak Arabic, and they are of the Muslim faith. I would note all of those things sound very uncomfortable to me. Anyone else? I'm a little uncomfortable. However, they quickly pointed out to me they felt God's calling, and they started looking for an apartment. None could be found, and they got discouraged. However, we know that our God is a God who provides. And not long after, the perfect apartment became available for them. It was in an area they needed. It was completely furnished. And it had views of the sunset every evening. And here we go. Here's how our God just shows off sometimes, you know. (laughs) It was large enough to host people to their home. Doug now teaches English as a second language on Wednesday evenings, and they regularly have game nights over at their home. See, hospitality is a big deal in that culture. And they both agreed and said they wanted to make the point that the people there have been nothing but extremely warm and kind to them. So I put an update from Kim in the bulletin, and I encourage you to, uh, to read that when you have time today. Because God has been using them powerfully to bless the school, to bless the families, and to bless the staff. Because we know that God's will is always good. Do you think, though, that it was tough for Kim and Doug to hear this call from God? Do you think when they first heard it, it made complete sense to them? Probably not. But it made complete sense to God. And looking back, I'm pretty confident that they would agree that they have been they have been blessed by it. I heard, I read or heard, I'm sorry, I'm not good at citing where I heard these things, but maybe one of you know. <laughs> I heard that if we don't, if we aren't often hearing directions from the Lord that are hard to swallow, that we might not be listening well. If we aren't 
often hearing directions from the Lord that are hard to swallow, we may not be listening very well. Because the truth can be hard to swallow. And it can be hard to follow. It's hard to hear truth. It's even harder to obey truth. Because when we obey, we're surrendering our desires for God's design. We're surrendering for God's good and for God's glory. And if, if you're anything like me, you're like, but Jesus, I can't do this. I can't do this. I've kind of felt that this week. I can't do this. But Jesus says, you're right. You can't. But you can with me. We get to partner with Jesus in blessing others. Verse 46 continues. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. So the disciples, they get in the boat, and they start rowing while Jesus goes to the mountaintop to do what? Praise. Yes, Jesus prays. And we have spent the last two months talking about the importance of extraordinary prayer. So all I'm going to say here is that if Jesus needed to take time alone with God to pray... We probably do, too. It's important for us also. Jesus takes time alone with God to pray. Continuing to 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So so Jesus is on the mountaintop praying, and he sees his disciples. And as the old NIV, and I was happy to hear the CSB also says, straining at the oars. Straining at the oars. They're straining as the wind and the waves, they were beating against them. And if we do the math, because we can, because the very next verse says, and about the fourth watch of the night, we can guesstimate that they were rowing actively, forget this, nine hours. They were rowing actively for nine hours without getting anywhere. Strong wind, rough, dark waters, getting nowhere. Remember, the disciples were just doing what Jesus told them to do. And here they are, straining at the oars. I want to note that just because we are obedient doesn't mean it will be easy. Just because we are obedient doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean, because you're a follower of Jesus, that life will be smooth sailing. My mother was a type 1 diabetic from the age of 9 years old until she passed away at the very young age of 60. My mother spent 50-plus years of her life straining at the oars. She lived a hard, a stormy life with this disease. She also, here this church, lived an obedient life. She lived an obedient life, being blessed, in blessing others. She lived a life loving and being loved by Jesus. Because here is the beautiful truth. God saw her. Let's look at that verse again, verse 48. And he saw that the disciples were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Jesus sees his disciples struggling. And I know, I know, church, that it's so easy to feel like we're all alone when we're in a difficult circumstance. Like we're surrounded by the storms of life. And we wonder and we cry out, God, where are you? Where are you? 
What you need to know is that He knows what you're going through. Jesus always sees you. Jesus always sees you. In the storms of life, I know they can be overwhelming. Like like the disciples, we're getting nowhere. And maybe you've been rowing for days. Maybe you've been rowing for hours, years, a lifetime. Beloved, I know the wind is not always at our backs as followers. Sometimes it feels like it's pushing you from the front. Sometimes God uses those times to grow us, to build our faith and our dependence on him. So if you're struggling because of your obedience, remember that Jesus knows where you are. Jesus always sees you, and you are not alone. You are not alone. Would you just say that with me? I am not alone. I am not alone. Now close your eyes and let it speak to your heart. I am not alone. He can and he will take care of you. How do I know that? Well, because he went to them. Jesus goes to them walking on the sea. So he goes to them. And when they see him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For all saw him and were terrified. And they were afraid. Fear. Fear. What do you mean? What do you mean? They didn't recognize Jesus? I mean, that's Jesus. They should know who he is by now, right? Now, before we start judging the disciples, let's put ourselves in in their shoes for just a minute. Because honestly, I would have freaked out as well. If I see Jesus walking to me on the water, I'm going to freak out, just so you know. Okay? And, and we live in a day and age with CGI and, like, Star Wars technology, and I would still freak out. Okay? We all struggle with fear. And there are so many different forms of it, whether it be spiders. Any spider haters out there? <laughs> okay, just me? Okay. Uh, <laughs> how about, here we go, and I know this is one. How about, how about the fear of heights? I know there are a few, because we had to change some light bulbs in here not too long ago, and I had a hard time finding somebody. Yes, we have a fear of heights. I do, too. I have a fear of heights. Um, we all struggle with fear. Um, how about fear of losing someone you love, especially if they don't know Jesus? How about the fear of the unknown? What's tomorrow going to bring? So a couple of weeks ago, it was my turn to teach children's church. I just love teaching children's church, but we were talking about the importance of prayer. And one of the sweet kids that said that when she gets scared, and it's usually, she said, from strange noises when she's trying to fall asleep. I get that. You know what she does? She prays. So here she is telling the other kids, you know, when I, when I get scared, I, I like to pray. What wise words, right? I mean, to have faith like a child. And as she prays, I can imagine God is speaking to her heart as God speaks to our hearts the words that he speaks to the disciples in the midst of their fears. Do you see? It says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. Take courage, church. It is Jesus. Do not be afraid. He sees you. 
and he is with you. You are not alone. Verse 51 then finishes by saying, And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded. When Jesus got in the boat, another account says, The wind ceased, and they immediately reached the other side. They immediately reached the other side. So whatever you're facing, I'm going to, I'm going to say this a lot, okay? Because I feel like we need to hear this. Jesus always sees you. You are not alone. And as my new favorite motto from Caleb says, God's got this. God's got this. But remember earlier when I said that we have a choice as followers of Jesus? We can either be comfortable and unmoving, or we can be uncomfortable and growing. Matthew's account has a little more insight as to what happened before Jesus got in the boat with them and the wind ceased. There's more to the story. So we're going to jump to Matthew's account in chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 27 to 33. Verse 27 says this. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So that's where we're starting, okay? We've heard this. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. (laughs) I love Peter, okay? I love how Peter is an all-in, cannonball-in-the-deep-end kind of follower of Jesus. Peter says, hey, is that you, Jesus? And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. He steps out of the boat. He had faith and trust in his rabbi Jesus, and at that very moment became forever known as a water walker. Peter became known as a water walker. He walked on water. Did you hear me? (laughs) He walked on water. And don't forget, The wind and the waves, they were still in full force. They were still beating against the boat. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus. Okay, I can't help but wonder, what would I have done? Hmm, that's a hard question sometimes, right? Would I have chosen the somewhat safety and security of the boat? And you all heard how much I love comfort, right? Or would I step out of the boat and go on the adventure of my life? What motivates my actions? Would I choose fear? Or would I choose faith? Peter chose faith. Peter chose adventure. And I love how John Ortberg put it. He said, if you want to get on, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Verse 30 continues. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Peter, I love Peter. I can relate to Peter too. Peter got distracted. He got distracted by the wind. He became afraid and began to sink. He messed up. 
He got distracted. Word of warning, just because you get out of the boat, just because you become an all-in follower of Jesus like Peter, doesn't mean that you won't sometimes mess up. We humans, we're messy. We all fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we sink. We probably live in the most distracted time in all of human history. Our lives are filled with distractions that take our attention, that take our time and our focus away from what's important, and take it away from Jesus. Phones, oh goodness, I'm going to start naming a few of mine. Netflix marathon, Facebook, social media, text, or my new favorite distraction, Wordle. Anybody else? Okay. All of these distractions are constantly fighting for our attention. How about the notifications you get on your phone? Those are constantly distracting me. And it's so easy to become consumed by them. John Ortberg also said, you know, the guy that wrote, if you want to get a walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living our lives. It is so easy to be consumed by all the distractions in our lives. I know. Now, did Peter have social media or the types of distractions we have? No, but he wasn't immune. He was human. He got distracted by the weather, by what was going on around him. He began to sink. Now, Peter often gets a bad rap here. But I want to ask, what about the other 11 disciples that were still sitting comfortably in the boat? What about them? Because sometimes we forget that Peter had water-walking faith. The problem was not that he was too comfortable. The problem was that he had distracted. He took his eyes off Jesus. Which makes me ask the question, what am I doing to stay focused on Jesus? I love how many of us have used this time during Lent to remove a distraction from our lives. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. A wise man once told me, his name is Pastor Dave, he said, I would also encourage you to make sure you fill that time with something that helps you to focus on God. Otherwise, you may just be filling it with a different distraction. That's so true. I remember one Lent, okay, I gave up drinking sodas. Guess what? I became a coffee drinker. I did. I did. And now guess what? I drink both. Yep. I do. Yeah. So maybe, and I'm speaking to myself here, maybe let's find something that helps us to focus on Jesus and not swap it out with another distraction. (laughs) After I read the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, Our family began intentionally focusing on Jesus by obeying Sabbath. In our lives of go, 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 we neglected to honor a very important command of God, 
The top ten command, mind you. Sabbath, uh, which comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Say that with me. Shabbat. It's just fun to say. It simply means to stop. To stop working. Stop doing. Stop. Go, go, go. To stop worrying. To be still and know that he is God. Sabbath also means to delight. Psalm 33, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, he has. He has. And I won't lie. My children will will confirm this. I pretty much forced our family to make Sabbath a non-negotiable. Kind of like a few years back I told you I forced our family to start having family dinners. Well, I have forced our family to make Sabbath a non-negotiable. Saturday is our day. It's our day of rest. Our day of stopping, not scheduling. We eat good food. Wait, wait, wait. We sleep in. (laughs) We eat good food. We play games. We nap. We enjoy family time together in the presence of the Lord. We taste and see that the Lord is good because blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34. We fill our Sabbath with life-giving activities. I think, I think it was John Mark Comer that said this. He said, Sabbath is how we fill our souls back up with life. And we, have, as a family, we've been blessed since we've been doing this. Now, we mess up sometimes. Yesterday was a hard day. But we're going to try again today, right? Yeah. <laughs> but ask yourself, what am I doing to stay focused on Jesus and not get distracted by the things of this world? So Peter gets distracted by the wind. He starts to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Let's go back up. He gets distracted by the wind. He starts to sink, and what does he say? Lord, save me. It's okay to cry out to Jesus. It's okay to cry out to Jesus. I think that's why I love the Psalms so much. David and other authors are crying out to Jesus. Because when we cry out to Jesus, we say, Lord, I need you. It's in our tearful and it's in our fearful times that we say, Lord, I need you. I need a Savior. We acknowledge that we're broken. We acknowledge that we're weak and that we need him. We say, Jesus, I trust you, and I completely surrender to your good and your perfect will for my life. Psalm fifty fifteen says, call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. So Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, and he took a hold of him. See, in this life, we make mistakes. We will. We will have distractions. We will doubt. We will sink. But know this. We follow a God who saves. We follow a God who saves. He saves us even in the midst of our messiness, in the midst of our failures. God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He died for us. He took the punishment for our sin. And when we put our faith and our trust in the work of Jesus, 
we are forever changed. We experience a life of purpose, of adventure. Yeah, we might not walk perfectly. We might even sink. But we get to get out of the boat. We get to learn and we get to grow from our failures. Okay, one little note. Worship team, you can go ahead and make your way on up. I have always been troubled by what seems to be Jesus scolding Peter by saying, little faith. What I want to tell you here is that this isn't the first time that Jesus refers to Peter's faith as little. And then God, God is so good, okay? God used a young child in children's church to remind me to pray when I am afraid. Oh, the beauty of childlike faith. Even with Peter's little faith, Peter was still able to become a water walker. Let that sink in, no pun intended. Jesus still called him out of the boat for an adventure. Why? Because Jesus never lost faith in Peter. Jesus never lost faith in Peter. And brothers and sisters, God has faith in you. He loves you. He sees you. He's always with you. You are not alone. Even if you don't have much faith in yourself, know this. God has faith in you. Let's pray. Well, Father God, I just thank you so much for this time in your word. God, I pray for a heart like Peter. That we would recognize your calling in our lives. That we would recognize your power. That we would feel your presence with us. That we would experience your purpose for us. And I pray, I pray, Father, that we will trust you to get out of the boat, even if the storms are raging around us. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would equip us, that you would help us to take these next steps of faith and move into the adventure of our lives. That we'll be able to follow you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And it's in his mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen.